thank you for joining us for the latest podcast on the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions Practice. I'm Mark Howard, our counsel in the pensions team here at HSF, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Claire Altman, Managing Director, Individual Retirement Solutions at Phoenix Life, to discuss defined contribution schemes and some of the issues faced when members are looking at converting their pension savings into retirement income. Claire, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Perhaps we could just talk forward just a little bit about yourself uh, and what's your role at Phoenix? So I joined about a year and a half ago um, to head up the individual retirement unit here. And we're looking at what we can do for customers in retirement to give them more security over their income and finding ways to use the balance sheet to do that. So you've got a um, recent survey of ours. We had eight out of 10 people saying they're wanting more security um, from their retirement benefits. So that's really what I'm looking to do. Okay, that's interesting. So members really after the security there. So apart from that concern for members, what are some of the key challenges um, that you see uh, for, for members at retirement? So obviously, uh, auto-enrolment has been a huge success. You've got you know 10 million more people saving into a pension and huge numbers of people saving who wouldn't have done so previously. One challenge, obviously, is how to encourage people to save enough, particularly at the current time with the economic crisis and so on. But that isn't the challenge that I'm looking at. I'm looking much more in the in the retirement income space. If you think back, kind of the move from DB to DC wasn't really based on a belief that individuals could manage their retirement benefits better than institutions. But that broadly is what has happened. And then you have the introduction of freedom and choice, which has made decision making even more difficult. So I think it's really great that 10 years on after the introduction of auto-enrolment, you've got industry and political and even regulatory attention increasingly focused on how to get people the right product mix in retirement um, and how to help people make the decisions that they need to take. So obviously, retirement, we, you know, I'm not saying something we don't know. Retirement is complex. We've got people trying to manage risks, competing needs. People don't know how long they're going to live. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to invest- investment returns. We don't really know, you know, over the long term, what's going to happen to inflation. And people individually don't know how their expenditure may change. So I think what you're looking for are products that help manage people's risks and help people achieve good outcomes. And if we can deliver the right combination of these products, then I think we're really onto a winner. So what we're looking at doing is balancing the need for certainty, but also flexibility, and particularly for those people who don't engage an advisor as many people don't. Well, yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of risks for individual members there to manage. You mentioned yeah. obviously freedom of choice, which came in in, in 2015, and, and since then there've been some reports, critical reports that it's not really delivering for consumers. And obviously we had the introduction of investment pathways. You see, you see, we're going to see more on that with developments as sort of freedom and choice 2.0. And do you think you could see annuities making a comeback, especially if members are focusing on security as a, as a concern for them at retirement? Yes, I think you've, you have seen uh, more people buying annuities more recently, particularly um, with rates having gone higher. And I think that's right. As rates have gone up, the whole question of buying an annuity 
has changed and they've become more attractive again. I think, you know, the key thing with freedom and choice really is that uh, obviously kind of prior to that, most people are going to buy an annuity. And after that, most people go into drawdown. They're quite binary, really, in their approach. I think for most people, the optimal outcome will be a combination of both because you're going to get some element of certainty if you put some of your pot into uh, guaranteed income. And yet, if you can put another portion of your pot into growth-seeking assets or drawdown, then you can actually attain growth. Because if you think that most people, the pot sizes are going to be quite small. So, you know, needing a bit of growth is probably going to be the case for a lot of people. Yes, I mean, I, that's, that's very interesting, especially that, that point about um, those sort of the binary decisions um, which which it, it introduced. I always thought with my personally that um, with annuities and the, and the criticism being levelled ahead of freedom and choice about them, it wasn't the product, it was the price, which was the, the real concern there. Yeah, I think I think it's probably two things. I think it's the price, but also the inflexibility, because I think the challenge some people have with annuities is that if you buy an annuity, that's kind of done. You can't yeah. you can't wind back the clock, whereas obviously with, with drawdown, you retain the ability to change your mind. And um, I, th- I think that's that's the thing. You know, you've got this 100-year life now. People don't really know that they don't that this whole idea or that that used to be the case that people one day they're in work and the next day they're retired and they stay retired for 30 years. I think that's gone really. And it's going to be a much more phased, you know, maybe somebody goes down from five days to three days and then maybe they're doing some voluntary work. You know, it's going to be a case of kind of managing around yourself really, I think, rather than these kind of, you know, one and done decisions that may not work really for the you know the rest of your life which may be quite a long time yes yeah, so there's, there's yes there's a lot of scope for innovation then in in, in, in products I and mean, I, I recall when tax simplification was brought in the, the possibility of, of short-term annuities was introduced so that that could be part of the mix i suppose as well a hundred percent yeah fully agree no i think you're quite right that innovation that there is a lot of scope for innovation and i think we'll see over the coming years people trying things and obviously some things will work and and, and other things won't but uh yeah I completely agree that uh, as, as the amount of assets grows going into retirement you know the market will meet that challenge of providing solutions for people yes so yes very much interesting to watch this space and how it develops yes exactly and what about collective defined contribution schemes? We've, we've obviously got a conversation at the moment about broadening their scope to allow non-associated multi-employer schemes. Do you think that will have sort of legs to run as a potential option in here? So I think CDC is really very interesting. And obviously the shape of CDC that's set out in the consultation is one particular version of CDC. And you're right, this is a, a way of thinking about it in an occupational environment. I think one of the challenges with CDC is that it's really quite a complex product. And what you're seeking to do is distribute it into a mass market environment. And I think that throws up a lot of the challenges that we all talk about. You know, how do you communicate it? You know, because obviously you don't want a scenario where if somebody's benefits are actually cut, obviously that comes as a surprise. So there's there's obviously lots of challenges. I think 
you know, the other piece about that is that if you're an employer who's currently offering DC, for example, through a master trust, you know, the incentive to move to a CDC arrangement is quite hard to understand what would drive that truthfully. Whereas obviously, if you're a large national employer currently offering DB benefits, potentially, and that is getting too expensive for you for whatever reason, you could see more of an interest in in providing um, a CDC arrangement for your employees. But I think there's definitely room for CDC. That a particular type of CDC that's set out in the consultation is definitely interesting. But I do also think that there's other types of longevity pooling that will come into prominence in the coming years. And, and I think what will be really, really interesting is what happens there in the retail space, because I think it's going to be easier for providers to get their heads around how they can do that. And then and then that mismatch between complexity of product and target market I think also goes away or potentially goes away particularly if it's an advised product. So so again I think this comes back to your, your points at the start about the, the, the challenge of the balancing of all these risks and it's not going to be one solution is going to fit all. CDC might be right for some employers it might it might not be for others so it, it's, it's, there's going to be a lot more choice out there for members potentially at, at retirement. Which I think leads on to my next question for you is that we've looked at this sort of product design, but how about how can we help members make these right decisions? I mean, so you mentioned in particular just the communication on CDC and it not you know being a surprise if benefits have to be cut back. But how can members sort of choose between what products to go for? Is it going to be around sort of advice? Is it going to be around moving into like default particular default arrangements at retirement how do you think that would play out yes i think it's going to be all of the above i think you know you get you're going to have different kinds of advice models so potentially a lot of it moving moving online um guided journeys i think will be developed and and yes i, I do see a place for kind of soft defaults you know basically presenting to somebody what might work for them and but then asking them to make an active choice about whether in fact they do want it i think it's all it's all being developed now and i'm i'm i think the good thing really is that you know if you look forward say three to five years we'll be a lot further on i think we're, we're very much in in the infancy collectively as an industry of thinking about this kind of thing there's a lot to look forward to coming over the the, the, the next few years and, and developments in this space um, it all sounds um, very interesting. Maybe, maybe we can get you back in a sort of you know, year, 18 months to sort of uh, see how the market's developed, developed since then. I genuinely would absolutely love to, actually. I, th- I think it will be really interesting. I think um, I'm hoping you'll see some things that have been a bit risky and haven't worked. It's not just going to be, you know, super safe stuff that doesn't push the boundaries. But let's see where we end up. Yes, that that that's great. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Many thanks to Claire, and we hope you all enjoyed listening. If you want to be notified about future episodes in this series, subscribe to our blog or via the Herbert Smith Free Heels channel on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud. If you have any questions or feedback, please don't hesitate to get in touch with one of us or your usual Herbert Smith Free Heels contact. Thank you for listening.